to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn, your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Jenny Gregorsik. Hey there, Jenny. How's it going? Hi, Jeff. Hey there. I'm, you know, I'm going, I'm doing great. Things are, things are good on my end. No complaints. How about you? Very good here. And we're looking at August. It's time to talk recall of the month for August. Uh, When we were putting together our notes, you mentioned, um, Jeff, you really ought to be giddy about today's show. And I thought about that and I said, that word giddy is so dumb. I refuse to say the word giddy. And so, no, I'm not going to be giddy about the show, but okay, I'm going to be excited about it because you've got actually uh, some good stuff to talk about and a special guest. That's right. I don't think giddy is really in in your nature, Jeff, and that's okay. It's one of the words that I refuse to say. (laughs) It's okay because I can be giddy and I am very giddy about today's show because we do have a special guest. We are joined by the one and only Dr. Jennifer McIntyre who is the Vice President of Food Safety and Technology from United Fresh, which if you don't know United Fresh, you should because they are the awesome Fresh Produce Trade Association. And we're really lucky to have her here with us today. Yeah, the uh, Fresh Produce Trade Association. That's right. Dr. McIntyre, welcome to Recall of the Month, Breaking Bad News. Hey, thanks for having me. I understand, by the way, that you got a copy of my book entitled Breaking Bad News. How, uh, um, what part of the book have you liked the most? <laughs> I have not started the book yet, so I like all of it the most. <laughs> yeah. The so cover's I, awesome. Yeah, yeah. The cover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Beyond that, it's a terrific nighttime read. It will put you right to sleep. It, it's in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jenny, um, look, you've got... Dr. McIntyre here on the show, and we're going to, you gave us permission to call you Jennifer going forward. So thank you for that. But Jenny, what does it mean? Are we hopping right into recall? I mean, we got a special guest. Typically, you like to prolong the agony here, make me guess what the recall is going to be, but what are you going to do this time? Well, you are correct, Jeff. We are going to jump straight into the recall this month. I mean, I think... Everyone listening to this podcast will find that Jennifer's perspective is much more interesting than, than ours. So we're going to get right into the recall uh, Recall this month. I won't make you wait. All right. What do you got? You've got something. Oh, remember last time we were talking, I said, this, this episode is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Mm, yes. And it depends, on, it depends on who you ask. Yeah. I may not completely agree with that statement, but uh, for folks who are in your your camp we'll have to we'll have to find out but this is not another head cheese recall yeah like we're not we talking last head cheese. month so that was, that's right that was last month head cheese so. is very last month. Uh, <laughs> so last month so last month if you will uh but you know i think this month we're talking about a recall that unless you live under a rock everybody has heard about by now and that is something that i don't think leaves a bad taste in your mouth because i love them and that is onions Onions, yeah, big recall and um, a different kind of recall this time. It's there's some strange nuances and permutations to this, so it's really a good one. But um, Jenny, before Jennifer jumps in and we start talking about it, can you give us a bit of a Reader's Digest version of the onions recall in total? Yeah, absolutely. Happy, happy to do it. And Jennifer, please do jump in if I get anything wrong or inaccurate here. Um, but let's rewind the clock a little bit. Um, August 1st, FDA announced along with CDC, um, Canadian state and local partners that they were investigating a multi-state outbreak of salmonella. Um, FDA says their traceback investigation was ongoing but has identified Thompson International out of Bakersfield, California, as a likely source of potentially contaminated red onions. Um, So those onions were um, recalled, actually Thompson recalled all varieties of onions that could have come in contact with these potentially contaminated red onions due to the risk of cross-contamination. So this was 
red, yellow, and white onions that were shipped from May 1st to August 1st, 2020, sold under a whole bunch of different brand names. And that's something that we want to dig into today. Um, Thompson Premium, Tender Loving Care, uh, Hartley's Best, Onions 52, Majestic, uh, Kroger, uh, Utah, Food Lion, lots of different brand names. That's not even all of them. Those are just a few examples. Um, and today, this recall includes all 50 states. Uh, there's been more than 1,000 reported illnesses. Uh, thankfully, no deaths have been reported. Yeah, that's really fortunate. And this is a salmonella-oriented um, outbreak. And so we'll ask uh, Jennifer to talk to us all about that. But Jenny, just a quick double check on this. You said a likely source of potential contamination. Uh, that's a nuance that oftentimes we don't get into, but um, FDA went ahead and put up the flag and then Thompson went ahead and initiated the recall, even on likely and potential grounds, huh? Well, and at that point we had reported illnesses too, which I would love for Jennifer to to talk a little bit more about. But yeah, I mean, this is certainly, it's a, it's a massive widespread recall. It's impacting every part of the supply chain. Um, you know, not only have grocers had to pull the product off their fresh produce shelves, but retailers may also use these products in, um, you know, their own specialty food items like dip, sauces, other stuff that you might find in the prepared section of your grocery store. Um, you know, restaurants have been impacted. They sold into food service. Um, meal delivery services like HelloFresh have had to recall certain items because these onions um, um, could have been potentially included. So it's definitely a far reaching recall, that's for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. And um, you know how I feel about onions, although I will say I do like French onion dip very much. Oh, me too. It's a, it's a strange thing. But I feel about onions the way you feel about mayonnaise. Oh. They are just, <laughs> just no. Um, there are certain ways that they might be prepared, but mm, it's a stretch for me. They are in everything, though. You'll find them in all kinds of products. And that's what makes this one of the more interesting recalls of the year. Yeah, absolutely true. And I'll tell you, I love onions, but you know what I don't love? And that is salmonella. It's right up there with E. coli mm -hmm. and all kinds of other wonderful things. I, um, you mentioned this pretty widespread, right? It's because it's in so many foods, all 50 states. And, you know, one of the things that we love to do on... Breaking Bad News Recall of the Month is actually attend to that connection of uh, not only the, the extent of the recall, but then the media coverage of it. Um, let's jump right into that. You've got some media coverage numbers? I do, yeah. You know, I mentioned this is a widespread, massive recall that is affecting all 50 states. So media coverage has really uh, correlated with that. We've seen just in the last a little bit over a month, more than 2000 news stories about this recall. And I think uh, there's a couple things that are driving that one. Um, there's been wire syndication of the press releases that have gone out that, of course, contributes to that. And then just overall syndication from, um, you know, like if we if we put out a release, um, to AP, for example, it's going to get picked up all over the country. So we've seen oh, a lot of syndication. Yeah. yeah. A wire so, service. Yeah. Mm -hmm, which is good. I mean, I think this is, you know, the whole goal of communicating dur during a recall is to make sure that if there is a public risk that people know about it, and if they have those onions in their refrigerator, that they throw them out. So um, I think it's, it's a good thing to be able to say that there's been a lot of public notification here. Yeah. Jennifer, how's it uh, from your chair? How have you viewed this particular recall? And do you see it as something unusual or different than others? Well, everyone is unusual and different uh, in its own way. This one certainly has some nuances. I think one that it's onions, which is pretty unexpected. You know, there's not a an association, a history of outbreaks or illnesses associated with onions. So that's quite unusual. It is, as Jenny said, it's massive in scale in terms of the number of people who are confirmed ill. It is one of the larger outbreaks in terms of, of people. Um, the, the spread throughout the nation, 
So, so those parts, yeah, absolutely are unusual. And I was really interested to hear that there were those 2,000 news stories, and certainly we want to make sure that people are not eating a product that could cause them harm. But I guess I was kind of surprised that um, I didn't feel like it was as big a news. I wasn't hearing from my neighbors and my parents uh, about onions the way I have about some other produce-related outbreaks in the past couple of years. And I don't know if it's because there's just so much competing news out there on the pandemic, on the elections. But, uh, I, you know, for, for something of this magnitude, I didn't feel like it got as many headlines, uh, as much visibility as some other foodborne outbreaks. Yeah, that's a, a good point. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and I was going to um, ask you to unpack that a little bit. You said salmonella and onions are not a usual mix. Can you, I think what you're referring to is that salmonella is usually found in other kinds of things. Can you unpack that just for a second? Well, you know, truthfully, salmonella and, and many other pathogens can be found in all types of things. And we probably shouldn't be surprised when there's a new association, a new food product and pathogen combination because um, these new combinations happen all the time. But people have heard, the public I think has heard a lot about romaine and E. coli. And maybe back in the day, salmonella and eggs, E. coli and ground beef, there are certain product pathogen combinations that, that, that have had a lot of uh, history. But onions as a commodity really doesn't have um, any kind of history uh, with salmonella or with any other pathogen. So I think that it, it did raise people within the food safety community, really raised the attention to say, what, what happened here? What's going on? And the truth is, we simply, uh, right now, we don't know what happened. Jenny, I interrupted you. Go ahead and jump in with, with what you were going to say. Oh, uh, just going back to what you were talking about with media coverage, that's so interesting. And I think it would be a fun exercise for us to go back to like romaine lettuce last summer and compare coverage on that issue versus coverage on this recall. Because you're right, I think it would be significantly less. And that's a trend we've been seeing the last couple of months on this show is just the very small relative, um, you know, to the size of a recall, amount of coverage that we've seen on recalls the last few months, because I think you're right, the news cycle is just so crowded. We've got wildfires and COVID and politics and, you know, the news du jour. So um, yeah, not, not surprising, but that'd be, that'll be a fun exercise. We'll have to go back and do that. Yeah, massive compression in the news cycle because of so many other big things that are going on, but the, uh, the onion recall and its pervasiveness is going to be one of those that we benchmark and we look at and say, what happened to it versus, Jenny, you just mentioned it, Romaine. Remember poor Romaine? What a terrible summer it had last year. I mean, I like Romaine and I felt bad for it. I hate onions. I do not feel bad at all for onions. And now I'm especially feeling bad for Romaine because it got unfairly criticized in the press. So I don't know. I think I'm going to put out a press release or something. The first thing I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to go home and I'm going to toss out my onions, right? I should, I should do that, right? The old adage is true. When in doubt, throw it out. When in yeah. doubt, throw it out. And for something like onions, where if you, as a consumer, you go to the grocery store, you're buying onions from a bulk bin, they don't have a brand. So I know, Jenny, you, you named several of the brands or several of the outlets where onions were sold, but it is difficult for a consumer to discern where they got their onion from. So that's why having um, that visibility in the supply chain that, that this grower, the packer, um, knows where the onions went, that's how it's best extracted from the supply chain, but then up to the individual consumer, yeah, they need to take action as well. And that very point about um, different brands, I, I definitely want to dig back into. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, um, I want to give Jennifer a formal introduction that she is due and then dive into some to this and some other questions we've got for her. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one, because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of Recall of the Month. And Jenny, you and I were talking about onions, onion-flavored ice cream, and all kinds of other things that onions ruin in their daily lives with us. You're actually an onion fan, though, so I got... I'm going to have to back off of this narrative that I'm on. I'll do it. For the sake of our podcast, I'm going to get on the side of onions. And you know what? I need some help. Thankfully, uh, Dr. Jennifer McIntyre is here with us. And Jenny, you and Jennifer wanted to start talking a little bit about how this onion recall really um, uh, connected to lots of different brands. Where were you going with that? Well, that's a great question, Jeff. But before we we do that, we are so lucky to have Dr. McIntyre here with us today. So I do want to just take a quick break or take a quick minute to read you guys some of her bio and you'll see just why. Um, So Jennifer joined United Fresh Produce Association in 2016, as I mentioned, as the Vice President of Food Safety and Technology. And before joining United Fresh, she was Vice President for Science Operations at the Grocery Manufacturers Association, working with some of the largest food companies in the world. And previously, she worked as Chief Science Officer at the Atchison Group and was senior staff scientist at the Institute of Food Technologists, where she managed FDA's contract, including exploring traceability across the food industry. Um, She also held previous positions as a visiting scientist at the FDA, an intern at the National Food Processors Association, and a USDA National Needs Fellow in Food Safety at Rutgers University. She received her bachelor's of bachelor's degree with distinction from University of Delaware and her PhD from Rutgers in food science. She has received numerous honors and awards and currently serves on the Food Safety Preventative Controls Alliance Steering Committee. She is a lead instructor for the Preventative Controls for Human Food course and is a frequent speaker at academic, government, industry, and podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> So, wow, that is a lot. So we're really lucky to have you. So thanks again for being here, Dr. McIntyre. Thanks. It just means I'm getting old. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to suggest that you start trying to achieve some milestones in your life. I'm I'm thinking that you're an underachiever here, but mm, no, now that I read this, I think, okay, maybe it's me that's the underachiever. Definitely not. I would say not old, distinguished, definitely. Um, That is just an incredible resume. But um, yeah, so we've been talking about this National Onion Recall, and it is certainly, certainly a doozy. Um, We talked about the media coverage of it. We've seen a lot of media coverage here. um, And some questions have already come up along the way for you, Jennifer. Um, So we can certainly dive in and pick your brain a little bit more on your perspective on this, on this recall. So I think, you know, First and foremost, you mentioned we don't know we don't know what caused this recall. Tell us a little bit more about that. What's what's happening with this recall right now? Well, I think to to back up, um, it could be helpful to some people to understand how how the outbreak investigation unfolds. So there are kind of three legs to the stool, as FDA and CDC describe it. There's the epidemiology, which is asking ill people about what they ate and figuring out through standardized questionnaires, what do they have in common? Especially if they've all eaten at one restaurant, it kind of makes it a little bit easier to look at menu items and and start to to fine tune uh, what food product or what ingredient might have been in common. So that's the epidemiology and it's based on statistics. So sometimes there's a sense that it's it's just a guess, that it's a hypothesis uh, with very little backing, but that's really, that's not true. There's a substantial amount of work that goes into um, getting the confidence that there is this food product uh, that's in common. Then the trace back begins. So that's looking at those restaurants or looking at the grocery stores where where people purchase the product 
in different here we have it's you know illnesses all over the country and in Canada so there are many opportunities with 1500 people sick to trace back and see if uh, that trace back arrives at a common source so that's the record keeping component uh, here both the epidemiology supported onions Canada the signal was a little clearer that it was red onions in the US uh, it seemed to be onions and maybe more than just red and the traceback also pointed to the the firm that was named and the firm that executed the recall the third piece the third leg of the stool is the testing that's getting a product that is positive and at least at this point in time there is no product that's tested positive to the best of my knowledge but this isn't terribly surprising when you look at the kind of the chart of when these illnesses began which go back at this point a couple of months so onions although they do have a, a reasonable shelf life compared to some other produce items that are much more perishable still they're out of the supply chain by now so i personally i'm not really surprised at um it, if they don't find a positive if you do then you have like the trifecta it, it's a nice clean case uh, but rarely in outbreak investigations, even in massive outbreak investigations, is that the case? That's a little bit about the process. If all of these onions are out of circulation, does that mean that we won't see any more reported illnesses? So hopefully the answer is yes. Uh, CDC has not updated their data since the beginning of the month, the beginning of September. At that time, it looks like the last illness was that they reported was a few weeks prior to that. But you have to take that with a grain of salt because the public health agencies, and, and a lot of this work is done at the state and local level, they're obviously overwhelmed with a pandemic response. Mm -hmm. So the timing of um, just reporting the cases, getting the paperwork, getting the lab analyses through the system, getting it you know, uploaded, it does take a little bit of time. So we may see some cases still that uh, haven't been counted yet in the official tally. It's a little frustrating to me when I see news reports that say the outbreak is growing because it's, it's not growing. These are cases that existed a month or more ago. They just weren't counted. So the numbers are always gonna go up. They're never gonna go down. But what I'm most interested in looking at is time. So are they continuing into September? Are we going to still see cases in October? That would be extremely concerning because it would mean that the product is not out of the system. Um, so the, the other thing is that sometimes people say, say if I got sick, I had salmonellosis and I was not careful, not attentive, and I'm preparing food for my family and I wind up making them sick uh, through poor hygiene, that's still counted as part of this outbreak. So it's not that my children or, or parents would have directly consumed onions or any other product, uh, but it is still counted as part of the outbreak. So sometimes those cases that you see at the tail end, technically they're part of the outbreak, but it, it doesn't mean that it's because people are still actively consuming product. So again, my hope is that with this recall, with the way that the communication exists through the supply chain, that all affected product is gone. Interesting. One of the things that we also see in media coverage a lot too is media really, they love numbers, of course, so they like to focus on those. And a lot of times the volume of the product that's being recalled is the headline. And we see this a lot in ground beef, for example, you know, 14 tons of ground beef recalled. That's a huge number. But in the grand scheme of the amount of ground beef total that's in our food supply at the time, it's a drop in the bucket. Help us understand from a context perspective, yes, while this feels like a massive recall, what is the, the proportion of this recall compared to the entire onion supply? No, I haven't looked and I and I have worked. So there's a group called the National Onion Association and I'm sure that they have a good sense of the total amount of onions that are out there. Um, clearly what's been recalled 
was not a majority of onions. You can still go to the grocery store. There's still plenty of onions out there in distribution that have nothing to do with this recall. So although, yes, it, it's massive and clearly catastrophic for that individual company and their supply chain, um, there are onions sourced from uh, different parts of the, the United States. And so there's still plenty of, of perfectly fine onions out there for consumers. For, yeah. people like Jeff, for people like Jeff who really love onions, there's plenty. <laughs> I might like onions more if the National Onion Association was our client. <laughs> have to hit them up. Well, they're not going to be now that you've trash talked <laughs> onions so much. Good grief. <laughs> Maybe we can give Thompson some help, though, while we're here together. And we can make, we can get them convinced they should be our clients. If you were Thompson right now, Jenny, Jennifer, what, what are the kinds of things that you would be communicating into the market? Whenever, and I've looked, you know, so my background is as a food microbiologist. I have been forced to do more on the communication side because there's just so many outbreaks and recalls that need to be addressed. Uh, but as a scientist and, and using the scientific method in evaluating how some of these uh, outbreaks and associated recalls have unfolded, it's been my anecdotal observation that it really is in how you communicate and how you handle the situation that determines how your company is going to survive or not. And it's surprisingly not as much about the number of people that became sick or or died, which fortunately in this case hasn't occurred. It is really in, in how you deal with the situation and how you talk about the situation. So I think the very first thing is taking it seriously, looking critically at what could have gone wrong and, and making a really dedicated effort to understand areas where even if you can't figure out exactly what happened because again, this is in the past tense now. This is some event that happened a couple months ago and it's difficult to go back in time and to recreate what could have happened. But um, to brainstorm, to think about areas where you can make improvements, where you can show that despite this, um, this outbreak in the recall or maybe because of the outbreak in the recall, you've identified areas where you can be best in class where you can begin employing those practices that um, are gonna be ultra protective and position yourself as a leader within the industry, you know, kind of rising to the challenge, acknowledging uh, maybe weaknesses that you had in the past, but showing how you're able to address those challenges. I think that that's the most important thing to give your immediate customers in the supply chain the assurance that something like this wouldn't happen again. Wow, for not being a communications person, you're surely really, really good at it. I, I completely agree. I think one thing that I forgot to mention that I think is so interesting, um, I can't find a website for Thompson. And I don't know if I'm looking in the wrong place. I did find a website for some for, poor folks um, called Thompson Family Farms that um, grow onions and potatoes. And I'm sure they're getting confused uh, for, for the big Thompson. But um, yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Jennifer. I would really encourage them to put up a website and tell people what they're, what they're doing. I just think consumers don't know. And, you know, we were talking last week a little bit about recall fatigue um, and it, it really does exist. There's, um, there's so much more communication of them now that I think it's hard for consumers to understand when they're, is one that they really need to pay attention to. And this is one, um, you know, we did a, a piece of research a couple of years ago about once there's been a food safety issue with a brand, what do you do to get consumers to come back to it? And that's a little bit different in the produce space because you don't have, you know, as many branded products like you have in CPG. Um, but still by far and away, what people said was, um, you know, evidence from third-party experts and a strong proactive response from the company on what steps they're taking to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I think that 
expectation of transparency is so high for brands right now um, that I think people just, they want to know what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. I hear from both of you a real, um, I guess you're extending the notion of authenticity into the conversation and saying it's okay to be human. Um, things don't go right all the time when they don't go right. That's okay. Say so. And here's how we're making it right, which is part of the, what we talk about in corrective action messaging inside of breaking bad news. And that's a formula that won't let you down no matter what happens. I think people understand when things go wrong, they just need you to figure out or tell them here's what we're doing to make it right. And consumers in 2020, I think are arguably more forgiving now than they ever have been. When we were pulling media coverage for this recall, we also looked at social sentiment and volume Compared to the 2,000 stories about this recall, there's only been about 1,200 mentions on social, which is really surprising to me. And it shows me people aren't talking about this. And that's maybe not such a good thing. Um, but I do, I also think that it shows that, um, you know, either consumers don't know or they are, they're more forgiving this year. I mean, uh, I think if there's anything that COVID has taught us is that, yeah, we are all human and, uh, you know, we have to, we have to treat each other that way too. Do you get a sense, Jennifer, from uh, even a science standpoint that COVID-19 has changed the way or the characterizations of food safety in some unusual way? As you step back from 2020, how will COVID-19 have affected the way food safety industry even views food safety? Boy, there are so many ways that I could answer that question. Um, so first, I think it's really important. I want to be crystal clear that COVID-19 is not a foodborne illness. And I think early in the, uh, in the pandemic, there was concern, especially around bulk produce, that maybe it could be transmitting the virus. And to have unpackaged items and people are touching them. And, and so there's that aspect of it. Within the food industry itself, I think that there's a real, uh, I was on a call, call earlier today where someone made the comment like, finally, everyone in the country knows to wash their hands. And that's such a great thing just for food safety. And trying to, you know, we've always tried to instill that you should wash your hands, wash your hands at home, wash your hands when you are working in a restaurant, wash your hands even when you're in the production facility. And to the extent that we can create these good habits, I think that if, if this pandemic has created those good habits, then that is definitely a silver lining. I think that um, COVID also has revealed, unfortunately, that the way that supply chains are set up are sometimes kind of rigid and inflexible and food hasn't always been in the right place at the right time. So that's not a food safety issue as much as it is a food security, a food sufficiency type of issue. We do see uh, as companies have changed how they're producing food, how they're harvesting uh, how they're processing, how they're packing food. I'll be curious to see if there is any correlation or any impact on food safety. Um, certainly, I don't think that it will be to, to the detriment of food safety. Will there be a benefit to food safety? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure just yet. But it does make sense what you say, if you could imagine the lessons learned and the behaviors that have been shaped out of COVID-19 and how they might affect food recalls going forward. Yeah, I think um, a good theory of mind is that in fact, the impact to food safety should be positive. Except for the fact that Jenny has a three-year-old. How's the hand-washing going there, Jenny? <laughs> we practice a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is behavior, right? That makes a huge difference all along the chain of custody when it comes to food safety and food recalls. 
Yeah, keeping ill workers away from work, making sure that people who are sick don't come into work. I think there's more attention to that. It's always been a practice and it's, it's um, generally been enforced, but I think that now there's heightened awareness around that hand washing, like I said, sanitation. Uh, so those are all good things from a food safety standpoint. Yeah, all good things. And well, I think for, with our uh, onion friends, we've got a fascinating case study and I, we should put a pin in it because it's one of those that allows us to see this, the nexus between behaviors and a massive recall across a lot of mediums and uh, in all 50 states. This is one of those, I mean, last month we talked about head cheese. Jenny loves head cheese, so she was all in on it. It's disgusting, but <laughs> but pretty niche product, wouldn't you say? Onions, on the other hand, uh, couldn't hardly be more widespread. So it's a really great compare contrast. I'm so happy that we had this call. I mean, Jenny, way to go! Way to get an expert on here rather than listening to me. <laughs> this was a lot of fun, and yes, Jennifer, we'd love to have you back anytime. We talk about head cheese. We did uh, marijuana recently. So you never know what we're going to be talking about on recall of the month. Let me just oh. clarify. We didn't do marijuana recently. We, we discussed covered We covered a recall. Yes. <laughs> yes. We covered a recall. <laughs> Tainted oh. marijuana. That's also not something that you want. Fingers crossed that we don't have any more produce related outbreaks or recalls ever, ever again. Um, so yeah, it would be great to never have to talk about produce safety issues in the future. But I, I am happy to help uh, anytime. I, I, I do have a passion for this stuff and love to talk about it. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again for having me. Yeah. And Jennifer, for our listeners, how do they connect with you, get in touch with you or learn more about the work that you're doing every day? You know, I'm very Googleable. I've I've found, uh, so I'm not that hard to find. I feel like my name and contact information is plastered everywhere. At the UnitedFresh.org website, there's a dedicated space on food safety. We have tons of resources, and just about every page has my contact information. And I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if if people reach out to you, you guys know how to get in touch with me. So I try to remain very very accessible. And we certainly appreciate that. So thanks for, thanks for coming on the show, Jennifer. And we, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Well, Jenny, that was fun having Dr. McIntyre on the show. She is super smart. I, it's hard because we just don't have enough time, but man, I bet she could have talked for another hour on this particular recall and so many more. Um, and now you're part, you're, um, you're a member of United Fresh, right? You are in that organization and. I am. Are, Fantastic organization. Yeah. You should give it a little bit of props here. What do you, when you're a member, what is it that you experience? How do you get information? What are the things that you see? Well, I will say their web portal where you can find Jennifer's contact information everywhere is really full, just chock full of resources. But I think where I've seen the most value, I just finished uh, Thursday and Friday, a two-day workshop called Recall Ready that they host. And uh, there was probably 45 of us and it's a simulator activity to uh, go through a scenario with a fresh produce product. In this case, it was apples. Uh, to get ready for a recall. Um, and it's every step from here's the fact pattern of we know what happened. Um, you know, are we, are we going to recall? Are we not going to recall? Ultimately, our group decided, yes, we would. Um, okay, so then what are those steps involved? What does the communications need to be? All of that. It's a, it's a great program. Yeah, interesting. And uh, we're bridging off of, off of Dr. McIntyre and our conversation about salmonella into another special guest. And guess what we're talking about? Salmonella. All right. Uh, yeah. Our really good friend and colleague, Vicki Ford is here with us. Vicki, nice to see you. Hey, good to see you, Jeff. Good to see you, Jenny. Hi, Vicki. It's so great to see you. Yeah, as Jeff said, we've been talking about Salmonella today. And if you haven't heard about it, the big onion recall with Salmonella uh, so glad to hear that you're going to talk to us about salmonella also. 
Yep, salmonella can be found in dog food as well. And that's really your area of interest, isn't it, Vicki? You, you've worked at, at, in the pet industry. You've actually worked in a kennel operation. You've, mm -hmm. you've got a lot of experience and interest in this space. So salmonella in premium dry dog food is the thing, right? That's what you're going to talk about. It is what I'm going to talk about. So this month, we have a voluntary recall of a premium dry dog food. That's what most of us know as kibble. Kibble, right. And that's, uh, so it comes in a bag, not in a can, typically. Correct, correct. Yeah. It comes in a bag. Is it, is it odd that uh, salmonella is inside of dog food, especially kibble? It is not odd. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen and can be very dangerous to humans as well as to our pets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you ingest salmonella, we were just talking about uh, that that is a gastro experience yes. <laughs> that you don't want to have, right? Um, does it, is there a transmission from kibble to humans? Not, I mean, that would be on your hands, right? That would be on your hands. It Mostly, it could be from handling the contaminated bowl your pet eats, eats oh, out of. Yeah, for sure. And the other one I love is because I've given my dog or my cat this, this wonderful, delicious meal of dried kibble, I go up to him and, and give him a, a kiss on his furry beard. And guess who just might have contaminated me with salmonella? Yeah, Oliver the dog. Oliver the dog, who does have a very furry beard. Yeah. <laughs> Vicki, I had no idea you were as dark as Jeff and I were, and you love recalls as much as we do. All right, welcome to the team. <laughs> yeah, right on. And um, uh, Vicki, let's talk a little bit about the translation between humans. If humans are poisoned with salmonella, I mean, some, in a lot of cases, they don't even present symptoms. Um, but if you've got them in pretty severe diarrhea, vomiting, cramps, fever, hard to uh, um, understand if it translates into animals, but is, is the same true for dogs? It is true for dogs, but on a limited scale. Dogs can get salmonella, so it does have the same type of GI symptoms that we would see in humans, but really it's not as dangerous to dogs as it is to humans. Now dogs, especially if they are elderly, if they have some sort of underlying medical condition, the salmonella can make that worse. But really we're talking about more transmissions to humans uh, from our dogs or from the pet food. Yeah, and I think the, the symptoms are more difficult to diagnose. I'll just use the two dogs that live at my house. I won't say that they're my dogs because they are not. They belong to my wife. And more difficult to diagnose any problems because they sleep 19 hours of the day. So they don't really present many symptoms other than snoring. That is correct. And dogs' GI tracts work a little differently than humans' GI tracts. So they process things faster, things get out of their body quicker. And generally the symptoms that you and I might experience aren't quite the same as they are in dogs. Yeah, I got it. And I reckon that there's a, you know, there's a continuum that can get pretty severe if it's just that kind of infection, but um, that's good. It's nice because we do love our dogs and um, we hate to see them when they're not feeling well. Mm -hmm. Vicki, you've got a, a line on this salmonella uh, situation in kibble. Um, do you want to talk about who the recall of the month goes to in this case? Sure, the recall of the month is for is from Sunshine Mills Incorporated. They recently recalled Nature's Menu Super Premium Dog Food that has a blend of real chicken and quail. And they recalled this because it had the potential to be contaminated with salmonella. This was noted by the Georgia Department of Agriculture when a sample of a single three pound bag tested positive for salmonella. Hey, Jenny, you were taking care of a dog last month, right? Do you still have your um, COVID-19 dog? I do. Sleep speaking of sleeping 19 hours a day, there's a chihuahua that is 
fast asleep in my lap right now. <laughs> well, when Vicky said three pounds, I thought to myself, that's heavier than the dog that Jenny's taking care of. <laughs> Ginger's about seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicky, Sunshine Mills got tagged with this recall. And in many cases, we hear it's just based on a sample but you have to extrapolate very quickly in the food safety industry and just say, look, we've got a positive test here. We need to take action. And sounds like Sunshine Mills took pretty quick action when they um, went through their recall. Um, we talked a little bit about the potential for humans getting sick. Is that part of the motivation here for Sunshine Mills? I would think it is, yes. Can't speak for the company, but absolutely, I would think they're proactive a voluntary recall of this product uh, supports that. Yeah, and so part of the lesson learned here in this conversation is, uh, one, we don't think about salmonella in pet food very often. Um, so it's good to bring awareness to that. Two, the very simple and behaviors that Dr. McIntyre talked about before, washing your hands quite a lot, the same behaviors that help us stay salmonella free when it comes to interacting with our pets, huh? That's correct. And I think, I know personally, if I'm handling, especially raw meat, I treat it like a contaminated event. I'm washing my hands, I'm washing the cutting board, I'm washing the, uh, the knives. And if I'm feeding my dog, I may not be quite as disciplined at washing that bowl every time a meal is completed. Yeah, and by the way, I should mention, and I know Jenny, you're gonna ask a question here really quick, but um, Vicki, you actually worked in a place where you were managing particular pet diets for their owners every day, and raw food was a big part of that. I remember you talking about it. Absolutely, the, I think the raw food movement for animals has definitely increased in popularity, especially over the past couple of years. I wonder if we're gonna see a correlation between that movement, the popularity of that trend, and more pet contaminations or recalls. The problem is that the raw food isn't necessarily a branded uh, food product, is it? It's like you go to your butcher and get that, is that true? It could be, it could be. Uh, raw organ meat from butchers is a very popular nutritional item for our pets. Yeah, Jenny, were you going to jump in and ask a question? Yeah, and that's interesting too, that raw piece that you were talking about and organ meat. Um, yeah, I mean, it's in a lot of ways, it's a sustainable effort to make sure that you're using every part of the animal, but from a food safety standpoint, yeah, that's that's concerning. Um, but I'm curious. Okay, so we've talked about bowls. And because I'm dog sitting right now, it's it's top of mind. Didn't even think about washing out her bowl after every single meal. I will definitely start doing that. Are there any other things that we need to think about to keep our keep our pooches safe? Well, if you want to go there, we'll go there. But salmonella can be transmitted through our animal's poop. So if you are going there, you do need to be very aware and very um, and wash your hands thoroughly after picking up said incident. Oh man, yep, that, I mean, we should do that anyway, of course, but good to know that it can be transmitted through fecal matter as well. And yes, please, everyone pick up your poop. Be good I mean, your dog's poop. <laughs> We typically would edit something like that out, but no, that's staying in. That's staying. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be a responsible pet owner, and uh, it's true. What goes in comes out, and so you've got to take care of both ends of that tiny little ecosystem, that four-legged ecosystem. That is correct. Vicki, when you are um, going to appear with us next, you're going to probably talk about another pet food recall. Uh, do you have any that are really interesting to you that you've been studying? Well, mold. How about we talk about mold next time? Yeah, I love it. Yes. Okay, we can, um, we can talk about a recall that I've been following around mold. Interesting. Mold is often um, 
a quality issue rather than a food safety issue. So I'll be very interested to hear more about that. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. We're really on, you know, E. coli and then the extension of that Shiga toxin, um, salmonella. We're often in that space, but mold is not someplace that we venture into very often. It's a mold that can be very, very, uh, take two on that. This is a mold that can be very harmful to our pets. All right. Okay. Vicki, we're going to have you back on the show really soon because I think uh, our pet owners and pet lovers, and there are billions of us across America, um, we're going to be very interested in hearing what you have to say for that. Thank you for coming on the show and telling us about the conditions of uh, the connection between salmonella and kibble. I've got it in my head now. I've got another one we can talk about for future issues. I just got a uh, breaking news alert that Bluebell was hit with a $17 million penalty for their listeria outbreak in 2015. You know what? That is a great one, Jenny, because I've done um, two really significant in-depth analyses of Bluebell and how they have managed themselves through their 2015. Those, that was E. coli. Uh, and then they had uh, they had another it was it was actually a more criminal incident, not a not the brand's fault. It was people licking the ice cream and putting it back in the freezer at stores. Mm-hmm. Remember who does Luf- that? Oh, remember the Lufkin liquor. Uh-huh. Uh, but how Bluebell is responding to these is a really interesting question for us. And you know what? We should do an episode on that. Yeah, I'll dig into that. I'm curious to to read more about it. All right. Well, let's wrap up here. Vicki, thanks for being on. Jenny, great to see you. I can't wait for our next episode. Yep. Thanks, Vicki. Great to see you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jenny. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. It really helps.